Shakespeare wrote in his prologue to Romeo and Juliet, two households both alike in dignity, in fair Verona, where we lay our scene, from ancient grudge break to new mutiny, where civil blood makes civil hands unclean. This may be the first Shakespeare slash true crime crossover, but that opening explains this countdown to a T. Two families from similar classes with long running grudges, and they got bloody. What you won't get a lot of in this episode, though, star-crossed lovers, because there is no love lost between these dueling families. There's a lot of deadly dysfunction you're about to be introduced to, but number one may be the quintessential family versus family battle ever. Hey, all you weirdos. Welcome to Crime Countdown, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Ash. And I'm Elena. Every week, we'll highlight 10 fascinating stories of history's most engaging and unsettling crimes, all picked by the Parcast Research Gods. This episode, we're counting down the top 10 famously fatal family feuds. I can't imagine feuding with another family (laughs) at all. I really can't. Honestly, everyone's families have enough going on within them for me to feel like I should feud with someone else's. Like, we've all got enough going on in our own. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. And it just feels completely pointless because feuds never end with a winner. Like, there's always a bad ending. You never hear a feud that's like, wow, and then everything turned out really well. And it was all Holly and And someone lived happily ever after. It's always everyone's upset at the end. No. My half of the list are very intense and very powerful families, which I was interested in. Mm. Because no family is safe from the pettiness of another family. Yeah, I feel like if a family started feuding with us, I'd just be like, I actually have to go. Like, <laughs> I have way too much to do, man. So this is all you. Yeah, I can't be involved. It's like, what's the point? You don't gain anything. No. The people in my number one, like, none of them gained a single thing. In they fact, never do. They lost almost everything and everyone. Always. Yeah. I am pretty excited to hear your half of the list, though, because, you know, guys, that's how this whole thing works. Elena has five feuding families on her side, and I have five feuding families on my side. Will we start feuding with each other over (laughs) the feuds? No, I'm just kidding. But neither of us knows who the other one has. Let's start the countdown. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some... The gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. Search To Die For in your podcast app to follow the show. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? 
Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. 10. I'll start us off with number 10. Mary, Queen of Scots versus Elizabeth I of England. Mary and Elizabeth were cousins with two very different lives growing up. Mary's father died when she was a baby, so she was actually queen from the beginning. Icon. Whereas Elizabeth was considered an illegitimate child, and her ascent to the throne was complicated. I'm sorry. But once she was there, she gripped that crown tight and made sure her cousin Mary never had the motivation to take her down. Did you ever see this movie? No, I want to, though. Beautiful. I'm saying. Like, devastatingly beautiful. The story is devastatingly beautiful devastating yes <laughs> i was like, I was like no <laughs> so mary queen of scots had it made she was only six days old when her father died and she became the ruler of scotland seems like half of that might be kind of crappy but like <laughs> sure but back ruler. then like she had it made she was like listen kick yeah. it guy she had it made so she became the ruler of scotland Jump to April 1558, 16-year-old Mary is married to the future king of France, and she stayed in France for years. She really does have it made. Meanwhile, Elizabeth was the daughter of Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn. Ever heard of them? Uh, yes. Who was hated by the court and the public. In 1536, after Henry VIII had Anne beheaded on charges of treason, he basically sent Elizabeth away to be out of his sight. He was the worst. The actual worst. He was a monster. Henry VIII went on to have two more kids, which if they would have had kids of their own, those children would have ascended to the throne. But Elizabeth's step-siblings did not have kids. And when they died, she became queen, shunned, and then crowned. The ultimate. Quite a glow up, yeah. I would say. Elizabeth also never married or had children. So the question was always, who would be the second in line to her throne? I love that she just wanted to like mix it up a little. Yeah, She's like, she what like, are you going to do? Yeah. You want to shun me? I'm not going to get married or give you an heir to this throne. It all ends with me. I'm the queen. Forever. What do you have to say? Well, Mary was the one who wanted that position. She wanted to be second in line. I don't blame her. Yeah. When she returned from France, where she was just like hanging out, <laughs> she made that very clear. So the two queens wrote letters to each other. But Elizabeth was very paranoid that if she named Mary the heir to the throne, that Mary would pull off a coup or have her killed. Times were wild back then. She very well might have. I was going to say, I don't think Elizabeth was like being like unduly paranoid here because like, Everybody was pulling coups. Well, and Mary, and Queen of Scots, had a reputation for being, like, diehard, like, wild. Pretty brutal. That's what they all said of her back then. Yeah. Diehard, like, wild. They said that. Yeah. Yeah. That was her nickname. Diehard, like, wild Mary, Queen of Scots. Yeah. But Mary wouldn't take no for an answer because she's diehard and, like, wild. Thank you. She aligned herself with the wrong men. And after a failed battle, fled to England, where she was placed in confinement by Queen Elizabeth for almost two decades. Yeah. Bad move, Elizabeth bad chess move. really like one-upped her there. Elizabeth was like, checkmate. When Elizabeth found out Mary was involved in a plot to assassinate her, she signed her death warrant. Mary was convicted of treason and beheaded. Yeah. Quite a family feud. I don't know how accurate that movie was then. <laughs> that was a bad feud. Yeah, and that's your yeah. family. And that's number 10.
Nine. At number nine is the Horrell Higgins feud. Sometimes you find entire families that are just hell-bent on causing trouble. And one of the best places to find one of those families is in Texas during the late 1800s. Subjectively an era of lawlessness. (laughs) Yeah, we can all agree. Yeah, right? And that's where we meet the Horrell brothers. Back then, they had reputations as big troublemakers and killers. And the Higgins family was having none of their shenanigans. Ooh, let's go. So the Horrell and Higgins families were among the first settlers in Lampasas County, Texas, in the 1840s and the 1850s. The roots run deep here. The two families got along fine for like two decades. That's a good run. Yeah, 20 years, long time. Yeah. Then 1870 rolled around and the Horrell brothers began to grow up. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. The Horrell bros were sometimes like affectionately known as, quote, fun-loving cowboys. Sounds great. But their behavior really got on some people's nerves. In January of 1873, Lampasas County Sheriff attempted to arrest two people for reasons that aren't important. But weirdly, the Horrell brothers decided to get in the way. They ended up shooting and killing the sheriff. You know, just fun-loving cowboy stuff. It's the wild, wild west. Well, the Horrell's brother-in-law then gets in trouble with the law, and the brothers get into it with the cops again in a saloon, and they leave four officers dead. After that, because yes, there's more, they flee Lampasas County for New Mexico, where they cause all sorts of problems before just coming back. Like, they need to get better hobbies or a job or... Yeah, they need to be busy. Do anything Idle else. Idle hands and whatnot. Yeah, right? You know? But guess what? What? No one thinks that they're fun-loving cowboys anymore. No? Especially their neighbors, the Higgins family. In 1876, Pink Higgins claimed one of the Horrell bros stole some of his cattle. I bet he was right. That was a no-go back then. I believe Pink. Well, the court said, nope. So Pink said, I'll settle it with my own gun. Always a smart choice. Yeah. Yeah. And he did. He shot and killed the Horrell brother that he claimed stole from him. So, of course, now the Horrells want revenge. And there's a whole back and forth of, like, violent nonsense. And then on June 14th, 1877, the two families have an all-out gun battle in the middle of the town. The Texas Rangers even had to interfere to stop all the madness. And when the feud finally ended after all the years of craziness, several friends and family members of the Higgins family were injured or killed, and four out of five Horrell brothers were dead. Whoa, that's like the dentist with dentine. Four out of five dentists. I was like, what is the correlation Not, there? not the same, but the same I just amount. pictured like dentists, <laughs> like on cows, like riding into Texas. This would be a wild time to be around. Can you imagine? Like you could just get just into the middle gun of battle. anything back then. The yeah. courts were like, nope. And he was like, well, I got a gun. So it's like, well, I'll take care of it, I guess. Yikes. You just stumble into a saloon and take care of it. I love the idea of a saloon. Horrified. Let's go. Number eight on our countdown of famously fatal family feuds is the Boyce-Sneed feud. We're staying in Texas for this one, but jumping into the early 1900s. And you know what sparks a feud better than anything? A love triangle. Mm -hmm. The Sneed and Boyce families were probably looking out for their own when Beale Sneed and Albert Boyce Jr. decided to fight over the love of a woman. In the end, one would be dead, and sadly, so would both their fathers. Wow. 
Beale Sneed was the owner of a Texas ranch near Paducah back then. He was married to Lena, the two had met in college. Love. But. Oh. Albert Boyce Jr. also met Lena in college and also loved her. Dun, dun, dun. Wow. But she didn't love him, though. Yeah, she met them both. <laughs> she's allowed to meet them both. Yeah, they can both love yeah. her, but like one of you, you has know. to love her from afar. And she's only going to love one of you. Maybe. So 1911, after Lena had already married Beale Sneed, she reveals she actually loved Albert Boyce. Lena. Lena. I'm you just, cannot be doing that. I just said. I just pulled for you, Lena. Yeah, no, you can't be out here doing that. Well, Beale Sneed's response, he puts his wife in Fort Worth's Arlington Heights Sanitarium for moral insanity. AKA, she must be crazy not to love him. Remember when men could just put women into sanitariums? Yes. Like, do you remember that? Just for existing. Fun. Just for having a thought. She doesn't love me anymore. She's crazy. She must be nuts. She is ill. Take care of her. Well, Lena gets out of the insane asylum and does what you'd expect. Runs away with Albert Boyce Jr. Lock her up. She'll show you. Yeah, good. I'm glad she did. I don't blame her. But then a twist. Oh. She comes back to her husband. What is Lena doing? Lena's confused. Lena, what are you doing? This is like a really weird romance novel. Yeah, it's stressing me out. So in 1912, Beale Sneed, still holding a grudge, kills Albert Boyce Sr., the dad. Why? Because he thinks he helped his son steal his wife. Why wouldn't you just... Well, you're not supposed to kill anybody ever, but like, why wouldn't you just kill the junior. Well, and that's, I'm like, Beale, did you stretch before you made that reach? Because, wow. Yeah. Like, just kill, well, don't kill anybody. I mean, right. Don't do that. Right, right. But, like, why are you killing his dad? And also, if senior is at the end of his name, you can never kill him. You can't do it. Stop that. Well, not long after, Beale Sneed's father is killed, Stop. presumably by someone connected to the Boyce family. So now they're just killing dads. Presumably or obviously. Definitely. Allegedly. But it's <laughs> it's not like just killing dads. What are you doing? And it keeps going. We're not even done. We've are killed kidding? dads now. We're not done. Beale Sneed eventually shoots and kills Albert Boyce Jr. Or, and hear me out, therapy. Yeah, like go call somebody. Like everyone, sit down. Take a moment. Make dinner together. Do yoga. I don't know. Don't kill. Beale Sneed goes to trial for the murders, and it's big news. People are divided about the case. How? Who's on whose side? I'd be like, I don't know. Maybe not the person who was murdered. I'm on his side. <laughs> like, I'd be like, know. who got shot first? I'm opposing the person that shot them. I'd be like, this is just craziness. I'm not on anybody's side. Yeah, I'm in the middle of y'all are wild. Beale Sneed ended up acquitted of both murders under an unwritten Texas law that allowed you to protect your home. How is that even unwritten? Is that just like the word on the street is protect your house? Literally just word on the street. The foreman of one of the juries was asked about the verdict and he said, quote, because this is Texas, no one won in this fight. No. Not one person. Not even Texas. Lena didn't either. No one did. Seven. At number seven this week is The Black Dinner. Even if you didn't watch Game of Thrones, you've probably heard of the red wedding scene. I was literally just about to say like the red wedding. Correct. Yeah, we've all seen it. We've all watched me cry over it. But if you haven't, it was a bloody massacre over a marriage pact between two families. And if the fictional TV version wasn't bad enough, it was partly inspired by true events, including The Black Dinner in 1440. So King James II of Scotland sat on the throne in 1440. To feel good about yourself, 
King James was uh, 10 years old at the time. Well, I'm behind. Yeah, you got to get going with that. <laughs> got about 10 years to work on. Working behind the scenes, though, for the king in some powerful positions were family members from the House of Douglas. Safe to say this was a tumultuous time, as it always was back then with clans consistently battling for control. Kind of like political parties in America. Huh. Yeah. Now, a rival clan to the Douglases were the Crichtons, and they wanted to get the Douglases out of power. They wanted to be the king's posse, basically. I love that they want to be a 10-year-old's posse. Yeah, they're like, we want to hang with him. Squad up. <laughs> so Sir William Crichton, Chancellor of Scotland, organized a dinner with young King James, a 10-year-old. I'm, I'm really stressed. Crichton invited the newly appointed 16-year-old Earl of Douglas at the time and his little brother, David. So three of the most powerful figures at a dinner table were all 16 and under, including the 10-year-old king. Lol. I was just going to say, so like the 16-year-old came and then the 10-year-old and then there was like a 12-year-old. Like when I was 10, I was like telling people what brat dolls I had and being like, which ones do you have? You want to trade? Yeah. At 10, I was, I think, decorating my room with blow-up furniture. God. And like beating on my door. I love that. Yes, I definitely I wish was. I was doing that at 10. <laughs> All I had I was, was a brat stall. <laughs> well, I'm glad I wasn't running a country because yeah. the story is that everyone was having a good old time at the dinner. So was Rob Stark, guys. He was having a great time and his wife was newly pregnant. R.I.P. So it killed me. I'm going to leave it killed now. Me. But at some point, the head of a black bull was dropped onto the table. So theatrical. Whoa. A black bull's head is a symbol of death. So the Douglas brothers were taken outside and given what's been reportedly called a mock trial over treason and beheaded. Treason was the catch-all of charges back then. This is the most metal and horrific thing I've ever heard. Like a black bull's head is just like, ba-dum, like just you're right just in like front of you. Drinking your craft beer at 10 years old. Yeah. And then ba-dum, eating your haggis. And it's just gross. And a black bull's head is just like dunk. Honestly, right like at the you? time, would you be like, is that the next course? Right? You'd be like, okay, how do I eat this? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like, like, is there a do sauce? I just, do I just pick it up and bite it or? I'm stressed. Well, Elena, guess what? There is a twist because Ooh. it didn't really pan out. The Douglas clan continued to hold powerful positions for years. Hey, you know, get it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I don't really know whose side I'm on I'm here. Stressed. It's confusing. Yeah, I don't know. But when the 10-year-old King James grew up and could rule on his own, he spent many years also trying to take the Douglas's clan down. Power grabs all around. Six. Also on our list at number six is the Medici and Pazzi families. This is a classic story of wealth, influence, connections, and we also have a couple of murderous priests. Oh. Classic. The Medici and Pazzi families both wanted to be the ruling family in Florence, Italy, back in the late 1400s. But it came down to who had the most support from the church and the public, and who was willing to play dirty. And by play dirty, we mean murder. Let's talk about the families. And they're Italian, so you know, family means a lot. Uh, yeah. Also, there was like a Netflix show about this, I'm pretty sure. It was called like Medici. And speaking of Game of Thrones and Rob Stark, Richard Madden, who played Rob Stark, played a Medici. Yeah, I thought you told me that a while ago. The only reason I watched this show. First, we have the Pazzi family, with deep roots, deep pockets, and major influence in Renaissance Florence during the 15th century. But then a few years later, here comes the Medici fam, 
all of a sudden they start to become wealthier and more powerful than the Potsy clan. You cannot be having that. Oh yeah, already you can smell the competition. I can literally smell it. I thought that I smelled something. Roasting. The thing is, the Medici family came up from humble beginnings. So they've got the thirst and the drive to take control of Florence. I like this. Because they came from the bottom. Yeah, and now they're here. But the Potsies have the support of the Pope. Okay, like humble brag. Yeah, that's huge. Like, oh, we got the Pope on our side. And they decide the Medici are officially a threat to how they think Florence should be ruled. And here's where it escalates. April 26, 1478. Do you remember the day? I was there. You were. The Medici brothers, Lorenzo and his younger brother, Giuliano, head to church. Little do they know, there's a plot to kill them during the service. Did the Pope sign off on that? Well, and it's like, shouldn't the church be off limits? Like, isn't that like the safe zone? I don't know. Yeah, that's not cool. So during the service, Giuliano is stabbed and killed first by one of the Pazzi family's assassins. In the house of God. Wow. In the house of God. Then two priests lunge towards Lorenzo with knives. Priests? Priests. Two of them. Priests. Not one priest. Two priests wielding two knives. Priestesses. Priestesses. They injure him, but he escapes and survives. And never goes to church again. Never. Has never very sings. Take me to church. Big grudge after that. What? After the attack... Other conspirators attempted to overthrow the government, but the people rallied behind the Medicis. This solidified the Medicis' power and exiled the Pazzi family from Florence, which, like, they deserved that. Yeah. I don't think the Pazzi family really thought this one through. This seems like a very half-baked idea. I just am really shocked that all of this went down in a church, and I don't think I'll ever get out of it. Well, and I feel like that's part of the problem. It's like, what was going to happen? What about, like, Town Square? Didn't people hang out back then there a <laughs> Didn't lot? Didn't people hang out waiting to get murdered in Town Square back then? Like, I don't know. why not, you know? Yeah, it just wasn't a good idea. The Medicis deserve to be. But the priests live at the church, so, you know, like, the murderous yeah, priests had to be there. It's a whole equation. I don't know, Medici forever, I guess. That last one? I told you. Bananas. Mine are getting more intense and more scary and more powerful as we go. They really are. I'm also not over a 10-year-old king. Yeah, I'll never be over a 10-year-old king. And at your next dinner, I do expect you to drop a bull's head onto the table. Oh, yeah. And just, just tell like, everybody. Mock trial time. Let's get out back. See ya. See you there. I'm not even going to tell you. And if you're like, why? Treason. Treason, treason. for what? I, treason. Get out there. It's just simple treason. I don't need I to don't, tell you why. I don't need a reason. You know, I don't need a reason. It's treason. I'm like, oh, is that our new mixtape? <laughs> it is. Wow. It DM. drops next spring. Okay. Drops in 1440. What's going to happen next? Uh, well, I do know. Pinocchio. Sleeping Beauty, The Little Mermaid. They're all iconic Disney movies. But did you know the original versions of these stories did not end with a happily ever after? Hi, I'm Alastair from Parcast, and I'm hosting a new Spotify original called Once Upon a Time. For nine weeks, we're commemorating the 120th anniversary of original Imagineer Walt Disney's birth by lifting the curtain and comparing some of your favorite Disney stories with their earliest tellings. Once Upon a Time will chart Disney's career triumphs, as well as the crushing defeats that almost ruined it all. 
We'll also look at what it took to bring these stories to life and why Disney's adapted versions became so memorable across generations. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Once Upon a Time. Listen free and exclusively on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Five. All right, let's jump back in with number five on our countdown of famously fatal family feuds. Starting off the second half of our list is the Pleasant Valley Wars. We've got two Arizona families, the Grahams and the Tewksburys, back in the mid-1880s. A wedge gets stuck between them in the form of a lie about livestock theft, and there is no turning back. After that, as one historian put it, quote, it goes bad very, very fast. By bad, roughly six deaths can be linked to their feud, but some say it's actually as high as 50. Wow, that's a very varied amount. <laughs> what is the median between could, could six be and six. 50? Could be 50. Find the mean. That's a very different number. Truly. People go crazy. Well, the Grams and the Tewksbury's lived in what was once known as Pleasant Valley, Arizona. Not anymore. No, probably because of them. They were good neighbors and even had a good relationship. Then came a rancher who blamed both families for stealing his cattle. They denied all of it and some gunfire was exchanged. <laughs> Very casually. Yes. No, we did not do that. Bang, bang, pow, pow. Okay, moving on. You know, what are you going to do? Yeah. So the rancher then decided to convince the Grams to turn on the Tewksburys and say the Tewksburys did in fact steal the cattle. Shady rancher. Wow, the shadiest. And also like, do you even know this man? Yeah. How did he convince you of this? I don't know. You guys were good neighbors. What's going on? This is Pleasant Valley. So off to court we go. Well, the judge didn't buy the lies and issued arrest warrants for John and Tom Graham for perjury. But what about the rancher who instigated yeah. this whole thing? Where is he? Yeah, I think he's just like Where's off. John the rancher? I bet he's off on his cattle that never even got stolen. I bet he is. So safe to say, this is when the Grahams and the Tewksbury's relationship officially broke. Officially. Officially. I have had it. So then things turn deadly. William Graham is shot. Before he dies, he says it was the Tewksburys who killed him. Very dramatic. Probably was. Over the years of more back and forth, possibly 30 or 35 unexplained deaths and missing persons can be connected to this feud, though unproven. And some say, like I said, it's as high as 50 deaths. That's a lot. What is happening here? And like 30 or 35 unexplained deaths and missing persons. And they're two families. Like, how are 50 people involved in this? I don't even know 50 people. I don't even know 50 <laughs> people either. Well, then in 1887, Tom Graham, tired of the feud, he just moves away. That's what I, I'd be like, bye, guys. I said in the beginning of this yeah, whole thing, I'm I would out. just leave. But Ed Tewksbury came to his town and shot him. Just followed him to his brand new beginning where he was like, I'm I'm over this and shot him. Like, dude, let it go. He's moving on. Yeah, I mean, Elsa said it best. Let, let it go. go. 
While in court, his widow Annie Graham then attempted to get her revenge, but the gun didn't go off as planned. Ed was tried twice, but walked free and ended up working in law enforcement, most likely because of his gun skills, I'm assuming. Yeah, everything makes sense here. Yeah. For sure. Full circle. Yeah, absolutely. The guy who like stalked somebody into another town and shot him dead. Yeah. Law enforcement. Yeah, Good. totally. Well, from there, it's unclear, but it seems the years-long deadly feud between the Grams and Tewksbury's did come to an end. No word on where the rancher who started it all ended up, though. Show yourself. <laughs> Reveal <laughs> where myself. Where are you? Four. Landing at number four this week is the Sutton-Taylor feud. The Sutton and Taylor family spent so much time killing one another, it's officially the longest and bloodiest feud in Texas history. By the time it ended in the late 1800s, 13 people on the Sutton family side and 22 people on the Taylor side were dead. And it sort of all began with one man, William Sutton. There are rumors that this feud began in South Carolina in the 1840s, but it can't be confirmed with any official reports. But if it did, clearly it runs deeper than expected. But in the 1860s, after the Civil War ended, both the Suttons and the Taylors were settled in DeWitt County, Texas, about 100 miles outside San Antonio. Because the war had just ended, things weren't great. Tensions were high as things needed to be reconstructed. The feud between the Suttons and Taylors really took off on March 25th, 1868. William Sutton, a deputy sheriff, killed a Taylor family member while arresting him for horse theft. Wow, that animal escalated theft. quickly. It's always animal theft. The theme today is animal, animal theft. theft. Don't do it. Later that same year, William Sutton killed another Taylor family member during an argument over the sale of some horses. Maybe the Taylors should have stayed away from horses. We're Save getting a, a horse. vibe. We're getting a vibe. To add insult to injury for the Taylors, William Sutton then gets promoted to the state police force. Makes sense. Would probably happen today, too. I'm not going to lie. Correct. We end up in a long string of William Sutton arresting Taylor family members on questionable charges and Sutton supporters killing even more Taylors. But the Taylors did fight back, and some of the Sutton clan also lost their lives. This is a mess. Wild. It's pure, senseless killings all the way around. It really is. Everyone is just getting annoyed with each other or just doing things for literally no reason and then killing people because of it. All because of animal theft. All because of William Sutton. After the chaos, William Sutton decided to take his family out of the county. But he was murdered in front of his wife as they moved. Oh, that is dark. So dark. The Texas Rangers even had to be called in to bring peace. Two families had literally caused an entire county to be crazy. Many said neither side won, and I agree with that. No, they all lost 100%. because they all lost people they loved. Everybody lost. Everybody was just angry and dead. Messed up. Three. Number three on our countdown of famously fatal family feuds is the Genpei War. Arguments about who should inherit someone's house when they're gone or the money someone leaves behind, that happens a lot. 
Now imagine fighting over who should inherit the entire imperial throne of Japan. The Genpei War was a five-year civil war from 1180 CE to 1185 CE between the Taira and Minamoto clans that went back and forth until there was only one family that ruled them all. It was a war that changed the history of Japan. No big deal. No, no big deal at all. No. So who's the rightful heir to the throne? I don't know. We've seen this story before. We've talked about it before. But this war had huge consequences depending on who came out on top. Leading up to the Genpei War, the royal family was getting very crowded. Too many babies were being born to be emperors, sometimes up to 50. Like, they're like, we need to get control of all this. (laughs) Too many babies. Too many babies up in here. So some people were kicked out of the lineage to keep things organized. (gasps) The shade of it all. They're like, you know what? You're not in line anymore. You are not in line. Kicked out of line. When you were removed from the royal line, you were given one of two family names, Tyra or Minamoto. After that, you may not be in direct line to the throne, but there was still a path to power. So both families had major military power, and depending on which family supported the current emperor or vice versa, one family could hold a lot of influence. It's like, you may not have won your regular season of Drag Race, (laughs) but then you get brought back for All-Stars, and you have a chance at still being a winner. It's exactly like that. (laughs) It is like that. So there were two warm-up battles between the two families, leading up to full-out civil war. Just like Drag Race. I mean, literally. (laughs) Just like Drag Race All-Stars. I've had it officially. That's why I put it in there. (laughs) So 1156 CE, this was the first major butting of heads between the two fams. One of the retired emperors died and both clans saw an opportunity for a power grab. In the end, the Tyra clan won and the head of the Minamoto clan was dead. By 1160 CE, the second major battle, again, the Tyra side of the family claimed another win, gaining even more power, and another Minamoto leader was dead. Like, not really going well for the Minamoto clan here. I was going to say, they're taking a lot of L's. They're the underdog, though, so, like, maybe they'll... Yeah, we don't know. Because that's the thing. It gets lonely at the top. Yeah. The leaders in the Tyra clan that earned so much power from the wins they started losing some allies. Uh-oh. And at the time, the Minamoto clan still had some fight left in them. So by 1180 CE, the two clans go full out civil war. As if people dying on both sides over the course of five years wasn't enough. During this time, Japan also suffered from, quote, a typhoon, an earthquake, a famine, and a plague. Wow. And a civil war. That's bad. So the Battle of Denora during the war was the last straw and ended with a decisive victory for the Minamoto clan. Third time's a charm. I told you they were going to come out on top. They they came back from behind. (laughs) Yeah, it always (laughs) goes full circle. So as a result of the Minamoto clan claiming victory, it changed the role of the samurai in the country for centuries. As PBS reported, the meaning of samurai is, quote, to serve. Before the war, it was a title that was mid to low ranking in the court. Huh. But the Minamoto victory elevated that, so the samurai became a more sophisticated type ruler instead of a servant. Wow, I didn't know that. They changed the world. Interesting. Underdogs coming out on top. Wow, I'm glad that last one didn't involve uh, theft of livestock. There was no theft of livestock. Because every other one does. They were just like escorting babies into different families. So that was kind of weird. Yeah, that was a little weird. Yeah. They were like, oh, that newborn, he's not in line anymore. But we brought Drag Race into it. (laughs) So it's fine. That's true. And it worked out perfect. It did. I 
am very eager to see if your number one is the one that I'm thinking it is. I'm sure it probably is because it isn't on the list yet and I don't have it. Okay. So if it's not there, then I'm going to scold the podcast research gods. Oh, I feel like you're excited. I like felt the excitement. Right. I'm ready to. It's wavering. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Let's find out. We're down to the final two spots on our countdown of famously fatal family feuds. At number two is the Capones versus Morans, Mafia family versus Mafia family. Obsessed. We're mixing it up since not all families are the ones you're born into, you know what I mean? I do. Back in the 1920s, sometimes your chosen family was the mob. And during that time, there were two mafia families in Chicago that really wanted to control the city and the illegal liquor business. One ran by Al Scarface Capone, and the other was run by George Bugs Moran. As you know, their bloody rivalry came to an end on Valentine's Day, 1929. Throughout the 20s, Al Capone ran a very powerful organized crime family in Chicago. This was during a time of prohibition. A significant amount of his gang's cash flow came from bootlegging and speakeasies, aka illegal manufacturing of booze and selling it. AKA fun. <laughs> Meanwhile, Bugs Moran was running his own rival gang and his own bootlegging operations out of a garage on the north side of Chicago. I can see why things are gonna get messy here. <laughs> there's some chaos everywhere. And if there's anything a mob boss likes, it's competition and someone making money off the same things. Oh yeah, they Cap love that. They love it. It's the, their favorite thing. Capone and Moran, not friends. No, definitely not, friends. not. Rivals. Definitely not friends. Throughout the 1920s, their mob families battled it out, always trying to kill one another. You know, like families do. <laughs> it's very normal. Reportedly, at one point, Moran and his fam drove past a hotel where Capone and his fam were at and opened fire, shooting more than a thousand bullets. How many guns did they have, though? <laughs> not casual. A thousand bullets. Like, how many people were in that car? Let's be very nonchalant about this and just do yeah. a quick shooting at the hotel. Keep it very under wraps. It's like a thousand bullets. That's insane. Then we get to Valentine's Day 1929. A romantic day. You know, a great day. At Moran's garage where he was doing his bootlegging in Chicago's north side. Four men walk into the garage dressed as police officers. They're actually members of Capone's mob family. Was there not better security at the illegal booze factory is what I want to know. Yeah, right. <laughs> like what's no one was checking IDs. They line seven of Moran's men up against a wall and kill them firing squad execution style. Oh man. The St. Valentine's Day massacre is considered the culmination of this ongoing feud. Luckily for Moran, he escaped being gunned down with his men by minutes. Moran was en route to the garage. He spotted the fake police officers going inside and he waited because he was thinking of himself. Mm -hmm. After the massacre, Moran reportedly said, quote, only Capone kills like that. Capone Imagine being known for that. He's like, only that guy does it like known that. for how you kill people. Well, Capone responded, quote, the only man who kills like that is Bugs Moran. I guess that was tough guy talk back then. Why would he kill all his that guys? They're like, oh, well, he kills like that, not me. No, no he and kills he's like, like that. Oh, oh no, he kills like that. Like, all right, guys, like, figure it out. You both kill. That's bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, neither one of you Maybe is a cool guy. Figure that out. 
Well, Capone ended up in jail soon after, and so many key figures in Moran's family were killed, he could not maintain the power. Yeah, and Capone ended up in the Eastern State Penitentiary after this. He sure did. We did an episode on it on Morbid. We did, and it's crazy. Wild. One. And that brings us to number one on our countdown of the top 10 famously fatal family feuds, the Hatfields and the McCoys. I was waiting for them. You know, I answered you and I was like, yeah, I'm sure it's the one you're waiting for, but I had no idea. (laughs) This was it. Yeah. Well, this is probably the family feud that all family feuds have been compared to for over two centuries since it began in the late 1800s. Both families lived along the Big Sandy River that ran between Kentucky and West Virginia, meaning their lives and businesses crossed paths often. While the strain between the two families can be traced to the theft of a pig, always, always, there were a couple incidents after that really escalated the fight to become very deadly. Do you know like a lot about this? Uh, Yes, I do. I've read about it and also I know that it's one of those things that... If you're, like, fighting with someone, they're like, oh, it's like the Hatfields and McCoys. So they do say that. (laughs) She's just nodding, like, yeah. Yeah. Before I got this, I didn't know what this was. Which is astounding. Yeah, I don't know anything about this, and I've never heard anybody say you're fighting, like, the Hatfields and the McCoys. I've only heard you're fighting, like, cats and dogs. That's astounding to me. I live to astound. I love watching you learn. So let me explain it to all of you guys. Explain it to me. (laughs) Walking through how the family feud really escalated in the beginning. In 1878, Randolph McCoy accused Floyd Hatfield of stealing one of his pigs. Always. Forever. Keep in mind, the stealing of livestock, as we now know, was a real thing back then. Yeah. We've learned it. We've read about it. You know. It's burned in my psyche. Yeah. If you read a lot of family or neighbor feuds from the 1800s, it really just comes up a lot. It sure does. I've read the big book of family feuds in the 1800s, and it's in almost everyone. Did you steal that from me? Because I've been looking for it. I did, and you forgot the chapter with the Hatfields and McCoys. I did. You just didn't get to it. I didn't, because you stole it. Sorry, I stole it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Randolph McCoy and Floyd Hatfield go to court over it. Floyd Hatfield is cleared of the charges. They okay, like, he didn't do it. Did not steal that pig. No. The star witness in the case was a McCoy relative married to a Hatfield who testified in favor of Floyd Hatfield. Two lovers in fair Verona. <laughs> yeah, there are star-crossed lovers, yeah. I guess. So that witness was killed by some McCoys two years later. Ooh. And those McCoys were acquitted for the murder. Oh. So it got real complicated and real deadly real quick over a pig. Man. Over a hog. Pigs are really intelligent and clean. Yeah. So then, <laughs> so then, in 1880, Rosanna McCoy and John Z. Hatfield, they get together. Some more star-crossed lovers. Wow. They even have a baby. Oh. But John Z. bounces, abandoning oh. Rosanna and this baby. And then he goes off and he marries her cousin. Ooh. Not cool. Don't no. do that. No. Stop it. Stop, John Z. So then, tensions between the two families just get even worse. And then things get really real. In August of 1882, we have what's been reported by historians as a, quote, real turning point. (laughs) Groundbreaking. (laughs) Like, in the history books, it's like, 
a real turning point. It's huge. And you're like, oh no. I thought the pig was for the marriage. That was a turning point. This is a but real, it wasn't the real one. turning point. This I'm ready to hear it. The true turning point. Because a physical fight breaks out between family members on both sides. And three McCoy brothers stabbed a Hatfield to death. Oh. Yeah. Those McCoys get caught by authorities, but somehow end up in the hands of the Hatfields who tie them up and shoot and kill all three brothers. Yeah. This is an intense story. I cannot believe that I didn't know this existed. There's a lot happening. And those Hatfields get away with it at first. They get away with tying people up and shooting them. It's wild. Wild West. It truly is. But then the McCoys call their political connections to get the charges reinstated. Again, just one hot mess after the other. It's just a pile on. And then in 1887, the media takes notice. Like, I'm really concerned as to why it took them this long, but that's beside the point. Suddenly, the media put down their sandwiches and was like, what's going on with them? Those Hatfields. Those two families are loud. Are they all right? (laughs) They're loud. (laughs) They're loud. What are they up to? Now, in a lot of press reports, the Hatfields were portrayed as, quote, violent backwoods hillbillies. Wow. I feel like today, like, both sides seem to be presented that way. Absolutely. Yeah. Also, imagine reading the news back then. No. (laughs) Violent backwoods hillbillies. They strike again. I'd be like, what is happening? I'd be like, I'm going to move to another town. Yeah. Yeah. And the feud continues, Elena. Needless to say, we get a lot of what Time Magazine called, quote, eye for an eye for an eye retaliation. Which just makes the whole world blind. It made everybody blind. Like, they're still blind forever. So New Year's Day, 1888, a day of more absolute deadly chaos. The Hatfields attacked the McCoys' home. This time they've infiltrated the home, killing or injuring several McCoy family members. And a bounty is put on the Hatfields for this. Getting real. So the bounty hunter wrangles the Hatfields after this. And after legal challenges... The case actually goes to the U.S. Supreme Court. What? Like, ish got real. It did. And the court decides that the Hatfields need to be tried. Um, Guys, everybody in these opposing families, try them all. Yeah, you rounded them all up now. You might as well just try everybody. Yeah. The various crimes they have all committed. Two families, one stone. Yeah. So in 1889, the Hatfields go to trial and it ends with some of the Hatfields and supporters sentenced to prison and even one public hanging. Dang. After that, the feud finally faded, but obviously the legend clearly lives on. Wow. For me, it's the infiltrating my home over a pig. Yeah. For me, it's like holding down somebody like three of you and murdering them and then just getting away with that. Yeah. For me, it's the whole story. Also, imagine being like a descendant of one of these families and then meeting a descendant of the other family. I'd be like, we're supposed to feud. I would shake that person's hand. You would hand them like a daisy. Yeah. And be like, peace, brother. Peace. Peace, man. I like that. I hope they do that. I hope so. If you're listening, you guys should do that. Do it, guys. Maybe you've done it. I don't know. Get a daisy. I haven't looked it up what they're doing now. So that was absolutely number one. Oh, I was waiting for that the entire time. I knew that I didn't have it. And I was like, I'm glad I don't have it because it needs to be number one. (laughs) That's hilarious because I was like, yeah, I definitely have it. I have what you're thinking about. And then I did. Yeah, you did. I didn't even know. It's the quintessential family feud. Wow. You know? Yeah. I'm saying. (laughs) I guess. You know, and it was over livestock. So that's it's over some kind of farm animal. Over hog. And that's what we're looking for. 
in our family feud. <laughs> That's the criteria. It's a, a stolen farm animal. That's Boom. all we need. Feud. Anything else? I'm like, well, it's not that important. We should have a whole countdown of people just stealing each other's cattle. And the feuds that ensue. Or maybe just stealing cattle. Just stealing cattle, even if everybody was fine with it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think it'd be good. I can't think of any families that were left off. Um, I mean, because a lot of these I didn't even know about. Yeah, I can't think of any right now. I'm sure later I'm going to think of one and then get really mad at myself. But... I can think of like murderous families, like terror, like the Bloody Benders. And, it's funny. The know. last one made me think of the Bloody Benders. Yeah, but I can't think of more that have feuded like this. No, me either. So you know what? I don't have to scold the podcast research gods. In fact, I commend you because you picked the right one for number one. Claps. Thanks so much. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Remember to follow Crime Countdown on Spotify to get a brand new episode delivered every week. You can find all episodes of Crime Countdown and all other podcast shows for free on Spotify. And if you like this show, follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. And if you like us, which I hope you do, you can follow Morbid wherever you listen to podcasts or you can follow us on Twitter at A Morbid Podcast or on Instagram at Morbid Podcast. And we hope you keep it weird until Monday and lock up your livestock. Crime Countdown is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It was created by Max Cutler. Sound design by Kristen Acevedo, with associate sound design by Kevin McAlpine. Fact-checking by Cara Mackerlein. Research by Jay Cahio. It's produced by John Cohen, Kristen Acevedo, and Jonathan Ratliff, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro. We're your hosts, Ash Kelly and Elena Urquhart. Walt Disney had a gift for storytelling that resonated with audiences. From a puppet who wanted to become a real boy to a mermaid who yearned to be part of the human world, Disney has developed relatable and unforgettable characters. Hi, it's Alastair from Parcast. Join me for Once Upon a Time, a special collection of Parcast episodes celebrating the original Imagineer himself as well as the origins of Disney's most iconic characters and stories. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast once upon a time and catch new episodes Mondays free and only on Spotify. Spotify.